Omar, welcome to Dans les Coulisses. It's a pleasure to have you as our first guest. Thank you very much, Tayo. Nice to be here too. Yeah, such a pleasure. So I think uh, you and I met for the first and only time in Austin, Texas, <laughs> of all places at South by Southwest. And that was a few years ago. And I remember that we had a pretty random conversation about founder dreams and luxury cars, but I don't think either one of us remembers which cars we were talking about, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess means it's been a while since we've talked. But I think you'd already launched Taranga Capital at that time, which is interesting to think about given you know the trajectory of, of your career. I mean, you've been an ecosystem builder, an investor and a founder, which is a pretty unique combination. And that's one of the big reasons why we wanted to kick off our series with a conversation with you so we can get started. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you, Tayo. So I'm, I'm, I graduated from Ecole Polytechnique of Dakar. And just after graduation, I created my, with some colleagues, some other colleagues, my, my first company, which is uh, 2SI. I um, leaded the company from 20, 2005 to 2010. After that, I launched an ICT incubator, the first ICT incubator in, um, in Francophone-speaking countries in West Africa. Uh, which is called CTIC. And after that, I co-founded Teranga Capital with Olivier Fudel and uh, Investisere Partner and other investors joined us later. And at last, I uh, I launched InTouch, which is kind of a company, a fintech company, which is expanding today in 12 countries in Africa. 12 countries is impressive. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to dig into that because as you know, expansion <laughs> on the continent is not an easy thing to do. So I think we've all heard the term elevator pitch uh, to kind of suggest that founders are supposed to be able to describe their businesses quickly, uh, like in the time that it takes to finish an elevator ride in case they meet someone who can fund them. So what's your elevator pitch for uh, for InTouch. And if you like, maybe you can sort of share a little bit about the journey and how you were able to expand to so many countries. Yeah, we started from Senegal and uh, we identified one problem. We, we were targeting the merchant. The merchant is the one who is dealing mostly with mobile money because if you want to open your account, you do that through the merchant. If you want to do your cash in, your cash out, all this has to be done through the merchant. But uh, in um, um, in Africa, in all countries in which we are, and in the country we started from, which is Senegal, uh, you have many mobile money players, maybe mobile money transfer, money transfer solution, uh, many airtime solution, etc. So it is a big, big problem for the merchant to deal with all these players, having to sign a contract with each player, having to get a device from each player, one reporting for each player, a support from each player, and to have to deal with a float for each player, it's a nightmare for the merchant. So what we did, we decided to develop a platform that allows the merchants to accept all means of payment, including mobile money, cash, vouchers, and to distribute all digital services, including airtime, uh, mobile money, uh, money transfer, cash in, cash out for, for banks, etc. So it's a unique platform to accept all payments, but also to distribute all digital services in Africa. So it sounds like it's a widespread 
problem. But the fact that it's a widespread problem doesn't mean that it's easy to take the solutions to multiple countries. So what would you say was the key in your case to being able to scale your solution to meet that need? Great. The first thing is that we had to address a need in all these countries. The first step was us to see if the need we had identified in Senegal was the same need that we could have in the neighboring countries, Mali, Ivory Coast, Guinea, but in the, also in Central Africa, like Cameroon, but also in the South and the North. So we decided to, after Senegal, after the proof of concept, to launch the neighboring countries. We succeeded to launch Mali, Burkina, Guinea, Conakry. We launched in East Africa, Kenya, to test this market too. We launched in Central Africa, Cameroon. We tried to launch Morocco. We did not succeed yet because of regulation issues. And now we are launching South Africa to cover all Africa. This was the, the, the first step, be able to test the need of these solutions in all the countries. And then we concluded that we have the need, the same need in all these countries. But after that, the big challenge is to have the HR, the right people to expand, to go with you and expand into these countries. We still have real challenges to expand in some countries because you need to, to know these countries, have the right networks, get to know the right people. And, uh, and deployed the right solution. Uh, it's not easy, but we succeeded to do that in the countries in which uh, we are. And also you need financing. We were very lucky to be able to, to have one first client, which is Total. We deployed the solution for Total in one country. They asked us to develop the solution in 25 countries. So we have a roadmap of 25 countries by 2025. We already covered the 12 countries with them. We, we are still expanding and Hopefully by end of this year, we'll be covering 15 countries and by 2025, 25 countries. This, this, this was important for us uh, during this journey because uh, having this kind of partner uh, open you many doors in these countries, but at the same time, they decided to invest in the company. They asked to, to before investing to, to Worldline, which is one of the biggest players on payment in Europe, the biggest player in in Europe, actually on payment and the fourth in the world. They audited the solution and after the audit, they decided also to invest in the company. So these companies allowed us to be able to finance the growth. And finally, last year, uh, we were joined by CFAO. CFAO is the group which is in um, 38 countries in Africa. They are in uh, mobility, they are in health and in technology, and they decided also to invest uh, in InTouch because uh, we, we have the same dream to, to be able to digitalize African SMEs. And uh, they are one of the, the, the companies that need also digitalization. So we, we started digitalizing many of the subsidiaries and they are now part of the game. So these are the different steps we have, steps we have been through and that have helped us to grow much quicker than we could expect. Yeah, this is really, uh, really insightful and impressive in a couple of different ways. So you mentioned uh, the need to test the need um, in the market when you're expanding, the necessity of having really high quality people to lead the expansion in country, those who have the right networks and know the country very well. And then this idea of having three um, very, say to say strategic, strategic partner sounds terrible, but 
very strategic partners on board that provided you with the infrastructure to help you expand, but also the financing. I've heard multiple times how important it can be for startups to partner with larger corporates for the purpose of distribution. And, and obviously, if the corporate can provide a strategic investment, all the better because they're, they're kind of now really literally and figuratively invested in your success. So, of course, the general purpose of this small series is to try to shed some light on uh, the landscape of opportunity in Francophone Africa. Although we understand that Francophone Africa is composed of multiple countries and they're not all the same. But kind of looking back on your journey and the mission you have to digitize SMEs, why would you say or would you say that InTouch is representative of this type of opportunity that's available in Francophone Africa? If you agree with that, why do you think that InTouch is representative of the types of opportunities you can find in Francophone Africa? Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, we're representative about the opportunity you could find in, in Africa because, first of all, uh, in Africa, everything has to be, be been built. There are so many needs in Africa, and, uh, and, and we entrepreneurs, we are looking for needs. We are looking for problems, and we try to, to bring solutions. I don't know any continent where you can find more more problems than in Africa. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, opportunities for entrepreneurs are huge, are huge. So, and, and we just picked one of them. So uh, this is one thing. The other thing is uh, I always come back to that, to, to, to human resources. We, we are lucky to have uh, very young people. Uh, the, young, the population of Africa is very young. And we have very talented people. We started from Senegal, which is very rich with uh, talented people because of many African countries that come to study in Africa and stay in Senegal and come and stay there after their studies. And we have a huge diaspora. And the diaspora, after some years, usually come back and try to launch their own company, etc. Uh, so we have very talented people. When you, when you mix opportunities like that, needs and talented people, you create very great companies. That's all what we did. We just put the right people in front of the right needs and we tried to solve them. But the, the thing is that unfortunately, uh, we do not, we do not do that as often as we should do. We don't have a critical mass of, of companies that are trying to, to, to face this problem because it is very, very challenging in our countries to, to be able to launch a company and make it sustainable. It is a big challenge because the ecosystem is not well structured. If you compare our ecosystem to ecosystem like which, which is in France and ecosystem which are in the Silicon Valley, it's uh, night and day. It's, it's, so the difference is huge. I have a friend that he's uh, leading an organization in, in Station F who used to, to live in Senegal. He's just saying, I, I know why now rich countries are succeeding and, and other countries like Senegal are not succeeding because the ecosystem are not the same at all. Hmm. He said that there you have just to, to be there and do things. But in you, have, in you are in, a, in an ecosystem like Senegal, Ivory Coast, Mali, Guinea, you have to create everything by your own, and it's not the same. So, so the challenges are huge. 
And uh, many initiatives you find are mostly bottom-up initiatives. They are more created by by people and the government is not really involved. They try, but uh, uh, they, they not do it in the way we should do that and they don't put enough resources to, to structure this ecosystem. So we do not succeed. We do not succeed. And uh, unfortunately, if we can't succeed to build this ecosystem, even if you have many entrepreneurs that want to try to succeed, at the end, we won't have enough champions. That's the that, that problem that we are facing today. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, the analysis that you provided about the differences between well-developed and developing ecosystems. I've certainly heard all of the um, complaints is not the right word, but I think there's been a pretty robust discussion about the talent challenge. So even when you have talented people in the country, then there's also competition if you're a startup. So you want the, the talent, but then also Microsoft wants the talent. Yeah. And so the question yeah, exactly. becomes, um, how long do you get to retain the talent? So that's obviously an issue. And then this idea of having to build everything. It's very true that it becomes um, an opportunity for startups, but it's also a challenge because you're having to kind of build the environment before you even begin to solve the problem. And then the point about government, I think, I think is very well appreciated. But I think it's probably understated how big uh, a role the government played, for example, in in creating Silicon Valley. I think in retrospect, there's this um, idea that somehow it was all driven by private sector money, which is just simply not the case. Uh, It was a lot of um, sort of government funded, even military projects that kind of kickstarted the investment into that area. But the question becomes, um, you're not going to stop as an entrepreneur. Uh, your colleagues are not going to stop as entrepreneurs. So I guess the only, uh, the only way forward is to build. But my question is, what do you think can be done better to build the ecosystem, both from the perspective of people like you who are innovators, but also from the perspective of government? What can both of those stakeholders do better to help build the ecosystem? Okay. Let's start from what, what we could do as, uh, as entrepreneurs. As, as, I think that what, what we should try to do is to, to strengthen the, let's say, the enablers. I tried in Senegal to, to, to launch Cetic Dakar. I launched it, actually. Uh, I co-founded the, the Taranga Capital, which is an investment fund. To me, it was important to, to, to show that we, we could uh, ourselves build some models, but these models won't change the ecosystem at all. But it showed that we can replicate that and we can do that without the, the help of the government. We did it by our own. But what I think is that uh, you have many initiatives like that, but they are, they are not enough strong right. to have a real impact on the ecosystem. So we have to strengthen these, these tools. We need to have very big incubators, very, very big accelerators. And when I'm uh, talking about a big accelerator, it's not about space, etc. When you, when you talk with the government, etc., when it comes to big, they, 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 they think infrastructure. But I mostly think about human resources. Right. We, need, we need the right people to be able to work with the companies to help them grow. Our incubators, our accelerators are, are, are not enough strong 
to be able to to help these uh, these, these companies grow. And when it comes to the to, to the government, I think that what we need more is is related to incentives to to make these things happen. Uh, just saying that, okay, Omar, if you if you accept to invest on uh, on on startups, it would be a part of what you should what you should pay as taxes, for example. These are kind of incentives that will push us uh, invest a lot. Our company in Dutch could invest in many startups instead of uh, paying part of tax. I don't. I'm not saying that we should not pay tax, but part of what we are paying could go into into other startups. And for sure, if we do that. Will succeed to have other companies who will also come to pay their taxes and also invest in other companies. That is how we grow an ecosystem. We need this incentive. We need more free money. We have to do that because we need to have uh, many companies that start and uh, and that will reach the, the stage to to scale up. And uh, the government has to create champions. Just take some examples like. Uh, what is being done in uh, in Nigeria interswitch has been created <laughs> and all the banks are together and it has been encouraged by the by the government and they succeeded to build a strong tool if you take uh, you consider other example there in 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 rice for example they decided at, uh, once uh, what the president of Asanjo had decided to be independent uh, uh, I don't. I don't know how you say it, to not to depend on on other countries for rice. He called Dangote and said, "How to do that? Tell me what do you want." They give them the land. They give them the means. And and after some years, they do not need anymore uh, to import rice. These are the things that our, our our countries have to do. Just say, okay, we we have this need. We need to build a champion. We accept that this it will be these companies, two, three companies. We invest on them, and investing is not money mostly. It's because they they give us, for example, for, from time to time the land, or they allow them to to access to public tenders, etc., allowing them to build the things for them. If you succeed to build a solution for uh, for one country, you will export that in many other countries, and these are the things we are expecting from the government. This is really, really interesting. So what you said was very nuanced, but it kind of comes down to uh, sort of champions of, of industry that can kind of reshape the sector that they're working in and maybe shift the direction of um, trade <laughs> from domestically produced to imported as a possibility. Uh, but it's also, and this is related to the issue of champions, it's also about incentives for those companies, the sector leaders, but also for companies to sort of start the, what you might call the virtuous cycle. Hmm. I think Endeavor uh, wrote a report, I don't know, three or four years ago that talked about how competitive ecosystems are built. I think they compared uh, Bangalore to Nairobi. And one of the things they mentioned is that the ecosystems that are founder-led, as in by people who've actually built and exited companies, do better than those who are driven by others. But it's clear that all there are, there are multiple stakeholders that need to be invested in building the ecosystem for it to work. Mm. My question here, um, and I'm being a little bit, um, um, I wouldn't say controversial, <laughs> but your, your point, <laughs> provocative, thank you. Much better word, uh, to be a bit provocative. So if we take the example of uh, champions, right? 
Some argue that in the Silicon Valley, let's say, version of VC, the goal is to become a champion. It's to become a monopolist and it's a winner take all game. So you build the biggest company, you raise the most money, you win everything and everyone buys from you. I know I'm being a little bit uh, dramatic here. But there are implications, particularly, I mean, anywhere, but arguably, particularly in African markets for having those types of companies. So my question is, how do you balance the need, to your point, to have champions that can remake markets, but then also facing a situation where you have a a monopolist? So so something, uh, to take an example locally, Safaricom comes to mind. I mean, uh, M-Pesa has done a lot of good, but there's also been complaints about you know, how open their infrastructure is and such. So what would you say about that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good point. And um, what I would say is that we, we cannot go, get or everything positive in kinds of situation. You have to, to choose. That's why exactly our government don't do anything. They just say, okay, you don't <laughs> want to... To, to have the monopoly, etc. But we need, they know that we need champions. But who will be the champion? Right. My theory is not to build one, to, to have one champion for all. We need to have many champions, maybe two, three champions on, on each field. And for some fields, we have to be in, a, for example, for many countries have to work together to build these champions. Our markets are, are too small. They are too small, and if each country wants to just to have its own its own company, etc., it won't work. We have to work together to identify priorities in different countries, but work together to build these champions. We we want to just say, okay, let's have one in telecom, uh, one in, in data science, let's say it like that, etc. No, but we try to build three, four, five big champions that we will rely on. That will be the, the, the game and uh, regulation will help. Regulation will help. You, you are completely right. We, we, uh, the, one of the problems we are also facing in Africa is that you have uh, big companies, mainly uh, usually uh, there are uh, big foreign companies that have set up in, in Africa and, uh, and, and they have succeeded to build since the colonialism a real monopoly. But the regula- since the regulation is not enough strong, they do everything they want. So radical regulation has to come and, and, and help uh, companies play the game they have to play. Uh, if not, of course, we will have monopoly. Fully agree with you. No, this makes a lot of sense. So the idea is to have, I'm going to call them Pan-African uh, champions. I think um, whenever McKinsey released that report, lions on the move or something, for whatever reason, we always have to have uh, animals represented anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that we're aiming for Pan-African uh, champions. And it makes sense also from a financial perspective, because it, if you're doing VC for all of this to work, the opportunity has to be big enough, the company has to be big enough. And then uh, really important to kind of highlight the role of regulation in keeping the the champions in in check. So there's work to be done there. So I want to pick up your point about the smallness of the markets. But before we do that, um, again, you've worn three different hats in the ecosystem, investor, founder, and ecosystem builder. And we've kind of highlighted some of the, the, the challenges in developing the ecosystem. But my question is, do you have you seen evidence of progress 
uh, because I think you founded Cidic in, in what? Was it 2010 or even before then? Yeah, 2010, yeah. Okay, so you've had 12 years to observe the evolution of the ecosystem. So what are the main signs of progress that you've seen and why are they meaningful? Yeah, um, at, at the beginning, uh, when we were launching CTIC, we were mostly focused on creating startups. We saw that we, we, we did not have enough startups and with the team, we were organizing startup weekends, trying to put uh, those who are in agriculture with those who are IT, art with IT, etc., trying to, to create ideas and some ideas created some projects and, and became startups. We, we do not have any, any investment fund that would invest in these companies. I, I even tried when I was uh, um, leading uh, CTIC to, to create a fund, a guarantee fund. I created it with a bank, but no startups could get money from this fund because uh, it was based on the rules of the banks and uh, these startups were too early stage and so they could not uh, get the money from this bank. So it did not work. Uh, unfortunately. But today, what, what I'm seeing is that uh, startups are raising money. Many investors are coming in Africa. You, I was really impressed three months ago when I was invited in an event in Dakar where we had many investors coming from everywhere and meeting uh, uh, startups. And I met the startups which were there. Some of them had already raised. I was really happy about what is happening. I have seen that we are in a new era, different from where we were 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Today, we have startups that are ready that, and uh, that are expanding. Some of them have opened subsidiaries in uh, Ivory Coast, in uh, DRC, etc. They're expanding and they're making revenue. So it's different. But I think that we do not still don't have enough companies that are growing. I'm currently in, in Cairo while we're recording uh, this. And uh, I was in an um, investor meeting yesterday and I was saying, wow, what's the difference between this ecosystem and ours? The, the event uh, was organized by, um, by PNP. Uh, they investing and they accelerate uh, some companies. And uh, the tools that are providing to these companies is uh, just, uh, this tool is just so powerful, they accelerate them. And I discussed with some of the startups which were there, but it was just amazing. They are reaching a critical mass of startups that are growing. That's what we need to do, to, because many of the startups will fail, but uh, we need to have this critical mass so that some of them will succeed. And you have enough investors who believe in the growth of the company and who are willing to to accompany them. And this is important. So the ecosystem exists. That's what we need. Unfortunately, we don't, do not have that a lot in French-speaking countries. And uh, the ecosystem is not so ready. And unfortunately, we do not have enough champions. Hopefully, one day it will come. But things are changing. Yes, it's really, really useful to hear your, uh, your perspective, because I remember speaking to one of your colleagues at CTIC. This must have been at least five years ago. I really don't uh, recall. But I remember him saying something to the effect of part of the challenge at the time was that CTIC was dealing with the first generation of founders, but there wasn't a second generation. 
So after you identified that generation and supported them to build businesses, it was like looking around to say, well, who is left? Many of the others who might have been left went and got jobs at Orange. So (laughs) the pool was not as deep, but it's sounding like the pool has deepened. The investment has increased. Surely there's a need to reach critical mass. And I think that's a very important point because until you reach critical mass, you don't start to get the flywheel effect where founders exit, those founders sort of found new companies or they support in companies that follow. It's very important. But what I can sort of say, given that you mentioned Cairo, I mean, both Cairo and, or I should say, Egypt and Senegal have found places in the information that's coming uh, out about uh, capital invested, right? So if you go to uh, Brighter Bridges, you see that Egypt is regularly featured in the top four or five destinations. And Senegal is also featured as a country that's kind of, if you like, punching above its weight. Given the size of the country, you know, the amount vested per GDP is actually quite, is quite high. Now, granted, you can argue that, you know, wave and all of that, but it's quite impressive. So it seems like you're you're heading in, in the right direction. But again, since you mentioned development of the ecosystem, you might make an argument, you may disagree with this, that some of this is related to the characteristics of the market, market size, consumer behavior, purchasing power regulation. So can you say something about how you would describe francophone markets? And again, I know there are multiple countries. So if you want to take it by country by country, but I think it would be helpful to kind of engage with what the markets are looking like from your perspective. Yeah. Mm, the, the, the key characteristic of um, Francophone Africa is that uh, unfortunately when it comes to, uh, let's say, if we compare the, the, the different countries, uh, you Francophone Africa to uh, Anglophone Africa is that uh, when, when, for example, when we when it comes to the criteria used by the UNDP, uh, unfortunately, among uh, one 187 countries, the poorest one are, are unfortunately from French-speaking countries. Mm. And uh, out of the ten, the, which are at the bottom, uh, you have seven which are sorry, which are francophone. So it, it it means that there is something. And when, when you go in depth trying to understand what's happening, why, why is it like that? You have, you have many reasons. People are giving many reasons. Some of the, the reasons that is mainly coming is related to, 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 to colonialism. Um, I, I don't know how, how it's true or not, but it said that uh, the way that uh, we have been governed uh, after colonialism uh, is different uh, from, the, from Francophone to versus Anglophone, because uh, Anglophone were pushing uh, decentralized governance while Francophone are still uh, very centralized go- governed. So, and, uh, and if this is a, a huge difference, we're talking about infrastructure. You find more infrastructures in English-speaking countries than in uh, Francophone countries. We talk about stability because... Uh, Two big countries in French-speaking countries, which are DRC and uh, Ivory Coast, are used to face many instability issues, right? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But if if we you deep dive and you just uh, uh, go in uh, in some sectors like mine that I know well, which is related to digital, 
uh, we do not have problem of infrastructure, we use the same tools, etc. But the same, the main problem I can find in the countries is that our countries are too small. When you compare French-speaking countries to, to English-speaking countries, French-speaking countries are very small. Senegal is 16 million. You go to Ivory Coast, almost 20, 24, uh, Mali, 26. These are small countries. When you go to, to English-speaking countries, you will have Nigeria, 200 million, Egypt, 100 million, South Africa, maybe 56 million, uh, Kenya, 52 million. So these are big countries. If you start a business in Senegal, if you grow, you, 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 you don't have choice. You have to go to look at another country. But look, the startups which are in Nigeria, they don't need to grow anywhere else. And they, and they even face very big challenges to, to grow out of Nigeria because they are in the big market. If you succeed in Nigeria, you are a powerful startup. If you succeed in Senegal, you are still small. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to someone that we you can do in 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 seven countries in in West Africans in French speaking countries what you can do in seven countries one startup can do that in in Lagos right. I'm not talking about Nigeria in Lagos so this is a big difference when we started from Senegal after two years we 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 we, we feel the need to go and look at the other market but these markets are different we are talking about africa like one market africa is 54 markets in each market even your neighbor if i have to send the money to guinea which is my neighboring country i have to send the money to france first and and bring back the money to wow. guinea i cannot send it very directly these are the challenges we are facing if you have money in Cameroon, you cannot get out the money from Cameroon to Senegal. You cannot. These are the real issues we are facing. To me, let's forget about colonialism. Let's forget about everything. Let's just concentrate on, on the market size. It's an issue. It's a big issue. The other big issue is related to, to financial issue. What I, what I was saying. How, how come if I have money in Nigeria, I, Nigeria, I can't use it in Senegal? You cannot get out your money from there. You cannot get your money for, get out your money from Egypt. How, how to deal with these issues? These are the real issues we are facing. And if you are in a big country, you can grow in these countries. But if you are in a small country, you cannot. You have to go in many countries and now you will face these challenges and you won't be able to grow. That's the problem we are facing in in Francophone Africa, unfortunately. Yes, everything that you said makes so much, so much sense. I mean, even if you if you set aside the colonialism argument, right? I remember hearing people kind of grumble. There was a uh, about the CFA, uh, basically, and and why it's still tied to France. And you can make an argument about how important or not important that is. But there's something I think core to what you're saying about the ease of moving money and accessing money in the region that makes a huge difference to not just consumers, but to the companies that, you know, need to transact, which is why uh, what you're doing with, with InTouch and others who are working on this issue from different angles, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it, it's funny that you mentioned Nigeria because you're very, you're very right. I mean, you mentioned that Senegal is 16 million. I think Lagos by itself is 20 million. <laughs> so the scale... <laughs> The scale is significant, but 
I guess let's let's talk about so if the markets are quite small and you need to go to 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 many, right? It almost seems implied that you're doing this from a business to business perspective. So given everything that you've seen, do you think the there are more opportunities in the business to business segment or do you still think there are very robust opportunities in the B to C segment? I mean, given what you've described, where do you think the real opportunity is? I think that there are there are opportunities in both. We in touch have uh, we have chosen to to focus on on B two B because there are still many many things to do. We think that uh, there are less competitions on that when it comes to B two C in Africa. Uh, when it comes to digital uh, telcos, are, are do it better than us because they have the means. We do not have the means they have to advertise to onboard etc. Uh, B2C can be very expensive. And if you have in our telcos, because of regulation, because the regulation do not void a monopoly on digital space, when it comes to B2C, they, they try to do everything. Right. And, and, and they're not good on B2B uh, because uh, it, you have to, to provide very customized solutions. You have to, to, you need to have very customized support. It's a support. It's not just about advertising, recruiting, Massively, etc. Uh, so it, it doesn't mean that B two B is easier, but uh, for startups like us, it is easier to penetrate the, this market and expand. But there is still room for growing in the B two C business. And uh, as you mentioned, we have succeeded to do that. They they came, they put as much money as the the others do, and they succeeded to grow quicker than than the, the others did. But you need a huge investment to be able to, to, to do that. So I, I won't say that uh, there isn't a market, but uh, depending on your strengths, I think that you should target the right clients. And as in touch, we've, uh, we've chosen to target the, the B2B cli- uh, segment. Right. Um, in chatting with an investor about this um, market size question, I basically got the same insight that basically you can do B2C. I mean, I'm oversimplifying greatly. You can do B2C, but you better be prepared to have very, very large sums of money if you're going to go that route because the cost of acquisition is very high. It's very difficult to retain uh, customers who don't have uh, a lot of disposable income. So it's a it's a kind of a complicated proposition. But you raised a, a point, uh, an important point about the diversity of the markets in Francophone Africa. Just based on what you've experienced at InTouch, can you say something about the notable differences in some of the countries that you've expanded into? And from any point that you like, whether it's culture, consumer behavior, regulation, whatever, whatever makes sense. So the first thing would be regulation. We are very lucky in West Africa, in the UMOA zone, to, to have the same uh, money. How, how do you say it? Yeah, uh, Franc CFA, uh, we, we share that. And uh, it helps us a lot, uh, being able to send money from Ivory Coast to Senegal. Uh, we have also the same regulation. Uh, we are not lost when you come, when you go from Senegal to Ivory Coast, Ivory Coast to Mali, Mali to Burkina. We are not lost. We are regulated the same. It's easy. But when you compare this to Nigeria, for example, I, I like to compare ourselves to Nigeria because uh, there are, I, I really like the kind of startups they have. And what you notice when you arrive there is the clarity of the, of the regulation. 
if you come there, you know from day one what you can do and what you cannot do. And if you want to do something, which kind of license you should have. Right. Unfortunately, in our region, it's not quite clear. We are not regulated, so we're happy because we can you, you can grow and develop your solution. But unfortunately, it's not very secure. But because one day we things can change and you want to know how, how they will change. Uh, so there are pros and cons. The pros is that you can grow, you can you can try to develop your, your, your yourself. But it is when you reach a certain level, you feel insecurity, and things can change from from one day to to another. What what even if in Nigeria, uh, things change a lot, but but you are in a let's say it's in a framework. You know at least that in this framework you are inside. And while being in this in in one framework, you are like protected because if not, everybody can come and propose the same services, and you are not fighting based on the same rules. And when you start, you don't feel that. When but when you grow and and you start being big, you you start feeling that. So we you need rules, and and we we find that there are more rules in these countries than in the countries uh, where we are. When it comes to one issue we, have, we, we are really facing now because we are growing fast is HR use, uh, human resources uh, challenge. Above all, challenge related to developers is being a nightmare to get developers. <laughs> and even if you get them and uh, how to keep them, you need to keep them. And it is becoming very, very difficult. And when you come in a country like Nigeria, the issue is that the other you are facing is that they don't want anymore to work with one company. They just want to be freelancers. And they, they, since the COVID, they know that and companies know that you can hire from anywhere. So they work from, from home and they, 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 they work all over the world now. Right. Even if they sign a contract with you, if you don't pay attention, they will spend half of their time working with us, other companies. Right. So these are being challenged. HR is being a big challenge, but we have to adapt to ourselves. We have to adapt to ourselves and find new ways of working in this new world. Uh, since COVID is a new era, we have to adapt to ourselves. And but but still, it's a big challenge. But um, we can overcome that. No, it's a very very uh, useful point to to kind of bring in COVID and the impact on the quote-unquote war for talent. I mean, if you have a, a highly valuable skill set, you can negotiate what you want to negotiate. So I can imagine the difficulty of trying to to manage and retain these people because they can w- be working in X number of time zones and you won't even know exactly. <laughs> who, exactly. who else they're working for. And on regulation... I've heard this from both sides, from the founder side and from the investment side. Um, from the founder side, uh, I was talking to a founder in in Nairobi, and she was saying how important it was for her business to be part of a regulatory sandbox, so she could kind of figure out where the parameters were, the framework was, because she's a fintech founder. She found it very, very important uh, to the success and scale of her business. And then from an investor side, uh, just advocating for regulators to be more active problem solvers and sort of saying, to your point, a lot of them don't want to act because they don't want something to happen in the wrong direction. But if they're actively problem solving and giving the rules, it increases the safety for them and for the startups because they know the startups then know where they play and where they can plan. 
So as we wrap up, I have kind of one question before I ask the closing question. And that question is, obviously, you mentioned WAVE. Um, There's been a lot of notable activity. Uh, There was a WAVE raise that was very large. Um, MFS Africa recently increased their Series C by $200 million. PAPS raised, I think it was four and a half uh, Series A, maybe, or pre-Series A at the beginning of the year. Not that everything comes down to fundraising, but are there any transactions or happenings that you think are really meaningful that you're tracking or paying attention to? Yeah, I think that the, you have mentioned the main ones that are really changing uh, what we used to, to see in Africa. These main ones are a wave because uh, it's the first time that we see a company based in uh, French-speaking countries in Africa raising such an amount. So they show to the world that it was possible to raise this kind of amount in French-speaking countries in West Africa and grow, and because they're growing very fast. This was a signal very important, but you you mentioned also MFS who acquired the GTP uh, recently, uh, a startup, they're not startup anymore, but uh, an African company and uh, who, uh, which uh, acquired uh, an American company and, right. and still growing in, in in Africa, and at the same time investing in many companies. So this is this is amazing. This is amazing. These are very good signals that these companies have shown to to the world. And we have many many some small startups that are are, are raising money. You talk about Pass, uh, Jamo, and many of them that are raising money today. So new things are happening. They are happening, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, within these, these coming years, uh, it is said that uh, unfortunately, uh, financing will be more and more difficult. Unfortunately, yes. But I don't think that in our region it will uh, it will last long because uh, our startups are growing fast. There are still money coming from investors, and uh, we have shown that. Uh, uh, when we when we invest when you invest in our companies we have a sustainable growth so this was important and hopefully it will continue yes it's it's kind of ironic that point about sustainable growth and I've <laughs> I mentioned this in a different conversation uh, but Sequoia Capital had that very interesting presentation to their cohorts and um, there's a part of the presentation which says something to the effect of oh. Growth at all costs is no longer being uh, rewarded. Sustainable growth, steady uh, profitability or steady growth with a view toward a profitability is preferred. And of course, I, I read this and think, hmm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a rational world, uh, African startups would benefit from that recognition because for better or for worse, there's no choice. I mean, you can't really afford to not be profitable and, and to not have, you know, steady, consistent growth. Yes. But perhaps uh, that's a conversation for for another day. So I would like to close by posing the Dan Le Coulis signature question. And you have a choice. Either you can answer to what is one stereotype about doing business in Francophone Africa that's true, but you wish it weren't true, or you can answer what's one false stereotype that you want to dispel. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is said that in Francophone Africa, we don't have the uh, entrepreneur mindset. I don't think it's true. When, when you consider a small country like Senegal, where 
at least 95 or 97% of the economy is informal. When we, we, we say that it's informal, it means that all these people are entrepreneurs, mainly entrepreneurs. They create their own business, but they're not formal. Unfortunately, the, the ecosystem is not enough structure to allow to push these people to formalize their, their business right. and they stay informal, but they are entrepreneurs. So the mindset is here. But the ecosystem is not enough structure to develop these companies, unfortunately. And these companies finally do not grow because the market is very small. We think that we, we, we don't have enough companies, powerful companies, because we don't have the entrepreneur mindset. But we do have these entrepreneurs, but they don't grow but because the market is very small. This is just one stereotype for me. It is, it is false. And uh, hopefully one day when we'll be able to create these uh, African champions, because we need African champions to be able to scale up very quickly, we'll show to the world that it is possible to create a company in French-speaking country and grow all over the world. Yes, thank you for challenging that stereotype, Omar. I think it's a very, very important one to challenge. I think generally speaking, the power of informal markets is, is vastly underappreciated. The power and the sophistication, surely there are challenges, but there is a lot of activity that's happening. And when we talk about ecosystems, you really don't have a lot of information about the business building ecosystem in informal markets. And actually in my day job, it's something that we're we're researching in South Africa. So I think that point is very well taken. But Omar, I really have to thank you sincerely for joining me uh, to launch the Don Le Coulis series, which is a collaboration between the DNA and the Trajectory Africa. We're very grateful that you gave us your time to help kickstart our path toward understanding the landscape of venture uh, opportunity and francophone markets. Thanks to those of you who are listening. Uh, you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts, and I hope you join us again. Thank you very much, Joya.